I think that, that the Republican Party has to do uh, as much as it can to be identified as a centrist party once again and, and show concern for things like uh, education and uh, public safety. Then we have to go back in the middle. We have to encourage a greater dialogue between the two parties and uh, move from that point. I mean, it, we have more in common than we don't. You know what I'm saying? Hello. Welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Alex Nitkin. I'll be your host this week. There are not a lot of Republicans left in elected office in Cook County. And those who are left have done it either by building a reputation as a fighter who's going to be a check against the Democratic powers that be, or as a kind of unifier who will work with Democrats to try and advance some common causes where they can agree on them. In Pete Silvestri's 28 years in county government, he has embodied that second breed. Silvestri recently announced that he's going to retire this year from his seat representing the Cook County Board's 9th District, which includes a lot of Chicago's far northwest side and suburbs around O'Hare. So he took some time with me to reflect on his decades in public service and talk about what he's taking away from it all. He talked about how he spent his career, starting from when he was one of the youngest people ever elected to office in the state's history, building this pattern of walking into contentious situations and getting people to cool off and work together. He talked about the county's struggle to move past its infamous clout-based operating system so that it can professionalize and modernize. He talked about some of the tensions that have faced the Cook County Board under the administrations of previous board presidents John and Todd Stroger, and now under President Preckwinkle. And finally, he talked about his philosophy on Republican governance and what politicians can do now to bridge the increasingly wide partisan divide that tears across governments everywhere. So here is my interview with Commissioner Silvestri. Commissioner Peter Silvestri, thank you so much for coming on the Cloudcast. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I was doing a little bit of research for this. I learned something that I didn't know about you, which is that you were first elected to office at the age of 20 in uh, yes, I was... 1971, the Elmwood Park School Board. How did you right. get into that? Well, before we do that, let me just say that I was the youngest elected school board member in Illinois. I don't know if I still hold that title. Oh, wow. But uh, I was very proud of that. And it, it was a result of attending the, the high school in the district, Elmwood Park High School. And at the time, there were budget cuts necessary, as so often is the case with local boards of education. And um, myself and some of the PTAs disagreed with the type of cuts that were being made. And with the assistance of the men and women of the various parent-teacher groups in, in our district, which was at the time four schools, uh, they helped me get elected. And that's how it started. So it really, the, the desire to be elected came from a discontent with the types of cuts that they were making because they were not based on the right standards. You know, you can't say you only have 15 kids in chemistry, so you're not going to have chemistry. You know what I'm saying? So this is to restore uh, so funding for some of the programs at the school. It was to restore funding and to reprioritize the types of cuts that were being made. Hmm. So, and it worked out fine. And then the referendum passed a few years later. I was elected. I was reelected. I was kind of, and I was president of the board at the end of my term as the school board at the age of you know 24. So wow. And so then that's how it started. From there, you went on to village president of Elmwood Park, right? Right, I had a short stint on the village board before that, a trustee. Uh, what happened was our mayor at the time quit for medical reasons, health reasons, and one of the trustees became the mayor, and the mayor then appointed me as his, in his spot as a trustee for, it was about a year actually. Uh, and we had a very divided board. There were three factions, of, you know, you have six people with three factions. It's not, 
real conducive to getting much done. But we worked it out, and eventually we all worked together. Between uh, working together and, and some demographic change, you know, one of the trustees left and moved out of town, uh, we finally got everybody working on the same page. And they were all fine people, just disagreed on very basic issues. So, What was the substance of the disagreements? How the village was being run in terms of the old-fashioned way politically and a little more progressive. And as it ends up in most cases, we ended up in the middle somewhere, as opposed to far, far to one extent or far to the other extent. But we were well received. I mean, I was elected uh, six times, so obviously people liked what we were doing in town. We had a very, very good cohesive board that got things done. They still do. Uh, just, just trying to get things going. You know, especially with an older town, there's a lot more issues in terms of infrastructure and maintenance, kind of stuff we're seeing in Washington right now. Hmm. There were roads and sewers and tree parkway trees had to be replaced because they were dead and. Just, just the types of things that local government do. But we did a lot of good things and very proud of our time there. I want to back up for a second because did you say that you were the president of the school board at the age of 24? Right. I was elected to the school board when I was 20. Uh, and in my second term, after a teacher strike, by the way, I was elected uh, president of the board at, at 24. So, Is it a little hard to command respect from a legislative body or a body full of adults when you're a kid like that? Well, it's funny because, you know, you have to also add the fact that, that I was a student at that school a couple of years earlier. So now I'm, telling, I'm, I'm dictating policy to people that were my teachers. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was difficult, but not so difficult because they, they made it easy for me and I made it easy for them. We just developed a nice rapport. We did little things like having, you know, a breakfast every month with the teachers' union and working with different parent-teacher groups. Obviously, I had an affinity to them because of their assistance with my school election. Uh, so it worked out pretty well, I thought. And uh, was it difficult? Yes. I found it difficult to call people that were my teachers a few years earlier mm-hmm. by their first name. And just, you know, <laughs> silly, things, silly things like that. But when it came to policy, when it came to, you know, stuff before the, the, uh, the uh, school board, I think we had worked it out pretty well. Like I said, we were in a rough period because we just had a teacher's uh, union. Mm-hmm. I mean, a teacher strike just before that, and they were out 14 days. So I, I sort of felt as one of my missions had to be to bring the, the administration and the teacher's union closer together. And I think that because I was a student a couple years earlier and because I was uh, young enough to be able to, to you know, be a little more pliable on issues, that it worked out that way. I think, you know, and not just me, obviously, everybody worked together. But uh, I tried to bring us in that direction, and I think it worked. Talk about the path from Elmwood Park to how long were you um, on the board there? You said six terms. So how many years is that? Well, I was on the I was on the board as a trustee for a year, mm-hmm. and then when the elections came, the, the person who appointed me uh, as a trustee, remember one of the trustees became mayor. Uh, he decided not to run again, so we kind of coalesced and came to the conclusion that maybe I should run at the age of 32 at that point. And uh, I did run, and I was successful with a three-way race. Each of the three factions on the village board that I told you about kind of had their own candidate in the, in the race, uh, which made it more difficult in the sense because six, of the six board members, three of them were running for mayor at the same time. Wow. So, it was, yeah, that was difficult. must be hard to divide uh, government from politics in a situation like that. It was hard, but I think that was one way that we, we worked it out. Because I think everybody finally realized that the best thing for the town is for people to work together. And so you were village president for how many years? 
I was village president for thirty uh, for twenty four years. Wow! Because even even today, you can serve as as mayor and a commissioner. So, uh, in the beginning of my term as commissioner, I stayed as mayor, and then the county board was changing. It was going from uh, two districts, which was the city of Chicago district and the suburban district. There were ten members from the city and seven members from the county. That was changing to 17 individual districts, which I think was a good move for many reasons, including the fact that it was more representative. If you're the city commission, if you're one of the 10 city commissioners and you live in Rogers Park, for example, it's hard to understand what people in Beverly might be thinking or people in you know Grand Crossing or somewhere else on the, on the far south end, or even the West End, Austin. I mean, Cook County and Chicago are very diverse. Even though we have a lot of things in common with each other, there are differences that I think it lost in the uh, debate when you only have, you know, 10 people representing 3 million people and 7 people representing 2.5 million people. So when they turned, when, when the legislature allowed us to change our uh, a form, form to a, a, a dis, you know, district by district uh, situation, uh, it, the referendum passed and, the, and the, the county board then created 17 districts. When the districts came out, the district that I re still represent was kind of a city slash suburban district, which is, is, as you know, I'm from Elmwood Park, which is exactly on the city border. So we had a lot of contacts on both sides of Harlem. We used to joke, used to joke that, that mine was the Harlem, the Harlem district, you know, because it kind of covered that part of the city on the far west side. Talking about uh, Dunning, Dunning, Galewood. Dunning, Edison Park, Norwood Park, Galewood. Let's just say Galewood to uh, Edison Park in O'Hare. You know, that was the city part of the district, as far east as, uh, as uh, Austin at some points. So the, the county was divided up into these districts, and you saw that as an opportunity to just sort of jump in? I saw it as an opportunity because as a, as a city mayor in Elmwood Park, I had a lot of relationships with, you know, the mayor of Oak Park and the mayor of Park Ridge and the mayor of Norwich and Howard Heights, different parts of my district. Plus, I knew the, the uh, two aldermen very well. So I went to all of them. I visited all of them and kind of presented my case. And they all said, you know, it would be a good idea to have someone from from our, our community that's worked in our community uh, to represent all the communities in the district. So it worked out well. And remind us who the aldermen were back then. And I guess 38 and 41 you're talking about, those wards? I'm talking about 38, which was uh, at the time Cullerton. But it was a small part of 38. And a small part of 45, which was LeVar, and Pat LeVar, if you recall. And uh, then 41 was Brian Doherty, who I ended up sharing office space with because a lot of the, our constituent issues were similar and it was easier to consolidate and, you know, have one Xerox machine instead of three. And, uh, and then we had 36 with, Billy, with Bill Banks, you know, Lynn Banks, who was an alderman for a long time in the city, too. So it worked out well. I, I always felt like part of my job was to represent the interests of the different communities in my district. Uh, and most of the time, those those interests did not come, you know, did not conflict. So I ran for the county board, and it worked out well. And it was there for another. I'm there. I'm, that was my first term, and now I'm entering my, you know, finishing my seventh term. So 1994, you join the board. It's for the first time ever. It's sort of divided up into these districts. Um, right. You join at the same time as, if I'm not mistaken, uh, President John Stroger. Can you? Take us back to what that board was like, what the feeling was like, and, and talk about, you know, President Stroger and sort of his management. 
Well, the, the, the board was, the, the day I was elected, I was elected with five other commissioners. So there were six of us coming in, which is a lot for 17 member board. Uh, and we, you know, our, our scope was really to, to try to represent the communities in our district because that's the way we came up politically, so to speak. You know, they came from wards and they came from state rep districts and so forth. Even the staff was like that. And then we had the old guard who were there, the other 11 members who went by the old rules. I mean, you know, this is pre-Shackman and pre a lot of that stuff. And a lot of the policies were based on, you know, political concerns. And John Stroger, who was a wonderful man, uh, a devout uh, Catholic and a hardworking person, you know, uh, he certainly came from the old school. I mean, he couldn't help it. He just came from the old school. So the, old, the conflicts that we have were basically on that. On the other hand, John Stroger wanted to be county board president. And if you look back, some of the people before him didn't necessarily want to be county board president. They wanted to be something else, you know, like governor or congressman. And so John, John Stroger had a very focused group, uh, philosophy on the county and that's what he meaning so when you say others wanted to be other things you mean others were sort of using the position as a stepping stone to a higher office right right and there's, there's nothing wrong with that except that the best way to get to the next office is to do a good job in the office you're in right uh and, but john didn't care about that because john's focus again was 100 percent on finishing the new county hospital which was still in the you know the county hospital was in the old building which is now being remodeled as you know and that, that started under the Stroger administration, although he was against it. The whole issue of what to do with the old hospital came up because he finished the new hospital. And, uh, you know, just finally now it's coming to conclusion as to what the building would be like. But that was, you know, like, like you said, 25, 26, 27 years ago. So, and and he, he, did bring, he did bring a lot of change, but it was slow because of the, the philosophy, you know, in terms of old guard versus progressive. You know, progressive is relevant only, you know, so long. You can't be on the board and say you're a progressive 30 years after you got there. So I'm talking about at the beginning there, there were a lot of people from the old school, intelligent people who worked hard, uh, but that's but we were front part of a system. I mean, that's just the way it was. And the Republicans were the same. I mean, it wasn't unique to the Democrats. Um, but John Stroger, again, because of his dedication, John Stroger did reach out to the Republicans and to the progressive uh, Democrats, and we got things done. Sometimes not as, not, not as much as I'd like, and other times probably more than I'd like, but it got done. So you're talking about this divide between old school and new school, and particularly you mentioned this was before Shackman, the, the Shackman decree really got teeth in like the mid-2000s and right. made people, uh, you know, set down these rules so that um, right. government officials couldn't make hires based on political alliances and things like that. Could you spell out some examples of what, that looked like in practice, the old school versus new school, in terms of how they were operating, what they were trying to accomplish, who they were hiring. That well, I think, yeah, I think, I think, uh, and it's, it's not universal. I mean, there were different individual cases, obviously, but I think the difference was that under the Shackman decree, the first question is going to be, what are your qualifications? What school did you go to? You know, what did you study? What did you major in? Whereas the old school would be, the first question would be, which ward are you from? Which precinct are you from? Uh, who sent you, basically? And that was not, you know, that was not germane just to the county board. That was government in general. And again, the Republicans did the same thing in Springfield. Uh, so it was a common, when I say that, because I don't want people to say later, well, you know, you're a Republican, you paid on the Democrats. I'm not picking on anybody. The fact was that it was the same system with different names on, on each side. 
because then, as you remember, there was a similar shackling case on the state side. So, I mean, it was a common practice. Uh, but that was the big, biggest difference, that it's something, because you could be very, very well qualified, but if you weren't sent by anybody, you weren't going to get considered. And, and that's gone now. It takes the shackling. And some people love shackling, some people hate shackling. And you've heard that at the county board meetings that some will attack it, although that's kind of been on the decrease, I think. Right. I definitely want to talk about I want to talk about Shackman in a minute because you, in particular, have a pretty key role overseeing some of that stuff based on the the committee that you chair. But um, I want to keep talking about um, you know when you came on in '94 and you were part of this sort of new guard. Did you want to change things? I mean, how were you bringing things, you know, making things operate a little differently, or what did you want to change at that point? I think we, I think that uh, I wanted to change things to see the county progress. You know, where we're not having computers that are outdated, and believe it or not, typewriters in offices and, and so forth. And it's 1994. You know, if it was 1974, I could see where there'd still be, you know, typewriters. You know, the typewriters, right? I've heard of them. I've heard stories. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw pictures in history books. Right. But the uh, the uh, basically yes, we wanted to make we wanted to modernize it. In the sense that the county just was, you know, working on old rules and old policies and old procedures. So you're talking about a pragmatic approach. The same thing it seems like you've been talking about as village president, just figuring out all the, you know, hard checklist items that need to get done. Exactly. But sometimes the hard check, the hard check items need to be done, but you have to do the small check items to get to the hard check items, if you know what I mean. Uh, so sometimes things got better, even though that wasn't the original intent. It just got better because the bigger picture got better. Like what? Does that make sense? I mean, well, give again, me an example. Uh, when you talk about, well, when you talk about there was a creation of a technology officer, technology department, there was no such thing when I got there. Uh, but me and enough other commissioners pushed it where now we have, even now we have a chief technological office, which you should. When you talk about a $6 billion operation, when you talk about, you know, 22,000 employees, uh, the computer should be at least at least somewhat modern. You know, I remember saying to someone when, I, when we were at the beginning, I said, you know, these computers are from, probably from the from the eighties. You know, and they said, well, you'd probably be better off thinking they're from the sixties or early seventies because that's when they were ordered. But that's ridiculous, especially in technology because things change so quickly. Uh, Would you say technology has been a real focus of yours in particular? It does. It was because I think it, it, it makes it makes our mission easier when we have things like modern computers as opposed to some machine that's outdated, you know, in terms of personnel records, in terms of uh, important histories of in, individual employee personnel records, hospital records. I mean, there's just a lot of things that need to be modern. You know, our, our court system has to have a modern uh, reporting system as well as the recorder of deeds. He you know, to make sure that your property is in your name. It's supposed to be. So there was a lot of areas where technology was, was behind, and I think that that was one of the major accomplishments at the beginning especially, because they were so far behind that anything was an improvement. So those are the types of things that improved, technology, personnel issues. Uh, some were voluntary, some were forced. You know, the hospital, the administration wanted to tear the hospital down, the old hospital. And enough of us, and I'm talking Republicans, Democrats, and independents, uh, said, you know what, there might be some better use for that. So that's how we got to that. And you're talking about uh, the Stroger administration. Stroger administration, yes. And then, of course, John, when John left, uh, unfortunately, because he was ill and then passed, uh, we had an interim period with Bobby Steele. 
and Bobby was very easy to work with because she was a commissioner for so long that she kind of she kind of felt like the rest of us, and we got a lot done uh, in a short period. And then Todd Stroger took over, and uh, very very nice band, very good you know good person, uh, and he faced a lot of uphill battles because uh, you know I I can't really judge if it's based on his name or his party or the timing of politics at the, at, at that moment. Um, but it was a it was a struggle for all of us for a while. But then we worked it out. Where budgets were passed, the things we got done. Then, of course, after Todd, uh, Tony Preckwinkle won, as you know, and I think uh, has done a lot to push the ball way down the, down the uh, field. To be honest, I think a lot of good things have happened. We don't always agree on everything, obviously. You know my record, uh, but. I think she's done a lot to modernize the place and bring it to the 21st century. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the Preckwinkle administration, here we are, we're 11 years into it, compared right. to either Stroger administration, the way that it operated, sort of what its priorities were, um, just sort of the feel of a, a board led by them. What are the, the, the real differences? Uh, I think the real difference is that although... Uh, President Preckwinkle has been in government a long time. Uh, she's not necessarily identified as part of the old system, and whereas John was definitely part of the old system and would, would tell you that to, to your face if you asked him, obviously, because that's the system he grew up in. Uh, and the same with Todd. Todd kind of inherited that, that uh, philosophy. So that's basically the difference, the old school versus the new school. Politics. Now, keep in mind, uh, during that time, we, you know, going back, to, I know we're going to talk about it in a minute, but it had a big impact. When Shackman was actually involved through the federal court, obviously the emphasis of the county government had to change too, because if you can't hire politically, there has to be a, a system of hiring. And, and which job should be hired politically? If you have a position that's a high ranking position, part of the administration, uh, the chief executive has the right under every court case that I've read to appoint those type of people. But then the problem between the Shackman lawyers and the county lawyers, the state's attorney's office, uh, was the definition of who's exempt and who's not. So that's taken years, it's taken millions of dollars. And uh, although we're, we're closer now than we ever have been, you know, when I was first, when I was first appointed uh, chairman of the litigation committee, we also had cases that were from the eighties the uh, on the jail in terms of overcrowding at the jail. And those were all settled, you know, thanks to some hard work from the county board and the administration and the sheriff's office. It, it, it's finally not in the place, you know, where uh, the place it operates within federal guidelines, you know. Right. So, uh, like you mentioned, you're the chair of the Finance Subcommittee on Litigation, and right. you are sort of hearing these regular reports from the different monitors and, and overseeing that who, who are supposed to be, you know, reporting to a federal judge. And there are three county offices that are still under Shackman oversight, right? There's the clerk's office, the assessor's office, and the clerk of the circuit court. Um, it has been years, like you said, it's been millions of dollars by the county spent on legal fees. Do you think, do you see an end in sight? Do you think that an end of this, this case is on the horizon? Well, remember when we when we spoke, if we had this conversation ten years ago, that list that you just mentioned was probably three times the size of offices that we had. The president's places. office, the jail, yeah, the forest jail, preserve district the, at one time, right, and so many more. Record, did you say recorder of deeds? Recorder of deeds that was then folded into the clerk's office. Yep. Right. 
I, it is my goal as chairman of the committee to, to leave uh, without having to talk about that anymore. I think it should be resolved. I think it goes back to your old-fashioned judge. What does it take in terms of being the defendant in this case to settle it? And then we should do it. And everybody's got to realize that no one's going to be happy with the decision because there's jobs that are probably considered exempt that are not really exempt. And the judge may say that. And, you know, at some point you have to throw in the towel if it's not going to, not going to work. And the other way around, too. I mean, there are situations where people are employed. And, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, the chief executive has to have people that agree with her philosophically uh, to get the job done. That doesn't mean every clerk at the counter, the circuit court judge, you know, circuit court uh, clerk's office, but there's, you know, certainly there are people in certain positions that are definitely have to be exempt. But I think if you look at the job descriptions, you're going to figure that it's easily figured out. I don't think it's as difficult as people make it. You mentioned earlier that there are plenty of critics of the Shackman decree. I, mean, I think especially we've heard this a lot from Clerk Karen Yarbrough's office, um, basically saying, you know, this is just getting drawn out longer than it needs to. It's so expensive to taxpayers. And you said it yourself, this was just the norm that people would just sort of hire people who worked in their own ward organization before. Um, I mean, why is it worth it? Why is it worth it to keep going down this path? Well, as you know, with my history, I don't think it's worth it. That's why I think it's time to end it. And and I think we, we will have enough uh, resources to end it uh, this year. That's the goal. Hmm. Uh, this year? Well, you know, the term ends this year. So I'd like to leave with the, with the uh, case being resolved. Right. And I think, you know, Commissioner Simpson was on that committee for a long time, and she had her concerns. And, you know, I think she'd like to see it gone, as well as Larry Sufferin, who's a very... Uh, active member of our litigation committee. So, hmm. I don't. If I had, if you had to ask me how it's going to end, I, I don't know the answer to that. I know that, like in every other negotiation, it's not going to be what the enemy likes. But that's how we you know, we move forward. We agree to some reasonable uh, settlement, but you move on. I mean, and I, I've been saying this for a while. You know, government is a, is a question of majorities. If I don't get uh, if I don't get four votes, it doesn't happen. So speaking of majorities uh, and minorities, you are one, sorry, you are one of two Republicans on the Cook right. County Board out of 17. Right. Um, you would not necessarily tell, I would say, by your, your voting record meeting to meeting or sort of the way, you know, just watching a meeting, you would not be able to tell that you are of a different party than, than everyone else based on just what's happening. Uh, can you talk about how you became a Republican and just sort of what being a Republican means to you? Well, being a Republican means, it should mean, and it meant this for a long time in terms of the Republican Party. It means staying out of people's personal lives. It means, you know, not creating bureaucracies to try to solve every problem. And of course, to, to control the amount of taxes that people pay, because the more money that goes to the government, is that much less that goes into the community in terms of the grocery store and the uh, bike shop and restaurants and so forth. So my idea of a Republican is basically a libertarian uh, that belongs to a group that does does provide for tax increases when necessary and um, the creation of bureaucracy when it's necessary. That's been my philosophy, uh, and I think it's it's still the philosophy that government gets involved when government needs to get involved, not only when government thinks it should be involved and. There's other solutions to problems besides setting up another bureaucracy. 
How do you feel like you've been able to advance that goal working with a Democratic you know, president's administration in, in President Preckwinkle and, and with these other Democratic commissioners? I think that I'm fortunate enough to have relationships with my colleagues that they at least respect my opinion and oftentimes will, will vote the same way I do and it's not consistent with, with party labels. Uh, the county board and the things that we do are not necessarily Republican and Democrat issues. Raising taxes is, uh, you know, creating bureaucracies is. And if you look at the whole record, you'll see that we've always opposed, you know, new taxes like the entertainment tax and the sugar tax. And we've, we've uh, tried to control the sales tax. In fact, we, we, we passed by the majority and then we ended up uh, uh, re reducing that and we ended up abolishing the sugar tax. So that's, that's when that comes out. So, but I don't think that anybody, I don't think that anybody in any government should be tied to Republican philosophy or Democratic philosophy only because it's not as simple as it sounds. You look at the Republican Party of today in Cook County and nationally, everything is obviously so much more polarized than, than it was. Do you feel like the current party has gotten a little bit away from your philosophy of what it means to be a Republican or at least what it used to be, you know, back a, a couple days, decades ago? I believe that both parties have put themselves in a position of isolating lots of voters who don't necessarily agree with the whole program. And that's true of the Republican Party. It's also true of the Democratic Party. But in Cook County, it's obviously more prevalent than the Republican Party because it's such a, it's become more of a blue county than it was a purple county in the past. Uh, so I think, I think both parties are doing a good job of alienating voters. And because people don't want the Republican philosophy or the Democratic philosophy exclusively because things don't always work out the way those philosophies dictate. So I think, yeah, I think that there's been a certain polarization among elected officials uh, because of what happens at the primary. The primary is, is, is constantly being uh, used by people who want to take, take over the party one way or the other, whether it be Republican or Democrat. And all I'm saying is, is you know, there's only so many ways to do a gallbladder operation at the hospital. So it's not, our, it's not the party's job to say, we shouldn't do, you know, we shouldn't do those type of surgeries or whatever. You know, I, I'm being too general, I think, I apologize. But the, the parties need to get back in the middle of the street as opposed to being on one side or the other exclusively. So the Republican Party is pretty much at a low point right now in terms of its historic power in Cook County. It's, uh, you know, a presidential off year for the Democratic Party this year. And a lot of Republicans across the state and including in Cook County are trying to um, take back some offices. What do you think is the path forward for the Republican Party in Cook County? I think that that the Republican Party has to do uh, as much as it can to be identified as a centrist party once again, and and show concern for things like uh, education and uh, public safety. I think the Republicans generally look at public safety more than the Democrats, at least the, by polls. That, that that's what you hear. Um, but I think there's there's more room there that, that we have to go back in the middle. We have to encourage a greater dialogue between the two parties and uh, move from that point. I mean, we have more in common than we don't, you know what I'm saying? And um, I think that should be the emphasis, to try to work together and get things done. I mean, certain things are just not partisan. They're just people, people important, and that's what we should be looking at. I have heard 
President Preckwinkle actually in a recent interview describe you as kind of the lubricant of the board, someone who brings people together and, and helps get things passed and, and break log jams. And I've heard you describe it just in this conversation, going back to the school board and the, the council in Elmwood Park, different factions and different groups, and you try to bring them together and, and find compromise. Do you think that that is sort of like a dying art in, in politics and in government, the people who just want to bring everyone together and, you know, bridge the divides? Do I think it's a dying concept? I think the concept is correct. I think people should be doing that. And I hope that whoever takes my position or takes some of the other positions will be dedicated to doing exactly that. But is there an interest in, is, as common as it should be? No. People are concerned about how it affects their role, how it affects their you know, position in the community. And I and I do too. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, I've been elected 15 times, so I must be doing something right uh, in terms of trying to bring people together. And I appreciate the uh, my colleagues and the president's kind of remarks on that issue because I, I do see that as part of my legacy. Yeah. What do you think would be a first step to making that happen, either in county government or you know city or state? How will we know when we you know what what would be a, a good first step or what is a tangible way that 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 sort of coming back to the center can happen. I think that I think at some point the general public will be so much uh, for that that it will happen. Uh, there are people in both parties that prevent that because they benefit from people that are not getting along. Um, but I think that will change. I think people are people are starting to become even more concerned about the polarization that exists in Washington and Springfield and to a lesser extent at the municipal and county level. Uh, and I think the future will show that the people uh, will be telling their representatives to cut it out and get back to business. Because the people, you know, people don't care how they pay their mortgage. They just want to pay their mortgage as long as it's legal, of course. And the same is true of other issues. You know, is there a better way to provide health care? There might be, but it's not necessarily based on, on political philosophy. It's based on medicine and science and all those things. So, and the next step has to be that people are going to commit themselves to meeting in the middle of the road as opposed to constantly trying to, to just push people off of their side of the street. Like they said, the sense of You mentioned the, you know, you're going to have a successor. There's going to be an open race for the ninth district right. up in the um, northwest side and northwest suburbs, west suburbs. Um, you're one of three retiring commissioners. Those commissioners suffered in the north suburbs, and, and I feel like we've heard a lot there and also with the fifth district um, being left open by Commissioner Sims in the south suburbs. Uh, we've heard about candidates stepping up and sort of races getting underway. I, I feel like, at least from my perspective so far, that the race has been a, a little bit quieter so far in the ninth district. Can you talk about, you know, is there a candidate or candidates who you sort of have your eye on or how are you sizing up the, the race at this point there? There's probably about 12 people that have said that they were interested. And I do, you know, I'm watching. Yes, but that doesn't mean that they're all going to file, but that there's 12 people talking about it, or at least there were 12 people talking about it. Um, but, you know, until they file, it's really hard to tell who's where, you know. I mean, we have we have different candidates on both sides of the aisle that are doing well in terms of uh, fundraising, uh, or at least, you know, that's the perception. So I, I'm assuming it's correct. Have folks started to come to you to ask for your, your thoughts, your advice, maybe even your support? There have been, there have been, there have been questions. Yeah, there have been people who wanted to get together and talk about the office, you know, and, and what what it does. And uh, 
I've been very receptive to that. And um, there are people who, again, talk about running, but until they file, it's really difficult to, to really ha have a conclusion on how many people will run. Can I get you to name any names? I think we should talk about the names when, when the filing actually occurs, because before that's premature, and I think that, that would be, it would be unfair to them, to be honest. Sure. Um, because you know, whoever I like is going to win. You know that right now. <laughs> so do you plan on endorsing someone, you think? We're going to see how it goes, but I would like to. I mean, I, I take this position very seriously. I, it's, I've been the only ninth district commissioner since it was created. Uh, right. Which you've got to give you some some you know some perspective on what's right and wrong, but I think I think whoever it is, they have to remember that county districts are a creation that someone sat down and, and drew lines, uh, but the communities within those districts are, are what should be you know considered on different issues, and I think I think that would make their job easier actually. Yeah, describe for me then in the abstract the ideal person to hold this seat after you. Gone. Well, the ideal person is leaving. So, <laughs> other than you, I mean, other than me, uh, I would think that it. Well, I would have to define some of my philosophy, that being the centrist philosophy in terms of partisanship, uh, the belief that not every problem is solved by creating a bureaucracy or, or creating a new tax. Uh, but there are times when you have to. I mean, there are times when, if the money is being spent right, it's still not enough. You have to make the choice of either reducing the service or increasing the tax. And, you know, my first vision is always to see how we can reduce, how we can make the necessary cuts to comply with the amount of money that we have coming in. And that's what the new person should do too. This district represents the Northwest side of Chicago. And if you look at the records of the Alderman over the last 20 years, they're generally anti-property tax. I don't think there's a property tax increase been ever voted on the North, uh, by any of the Alderman of the Northwest side. So when taxes come up at the county, you know, the first conclusion is, well, how do we, how do we avoid the tax? You know, how do we avoid the increase? And I think my successor should be aware of that. Should come from a baseline of how do we avoid more taxes or costs on voters? Right. And the same is true with the bureaucracy. I mean, you can't, you can't provide service without a bureaucracy. It's just a question of how big the bureaucracy gets and if it should be increased before there's cuts made. And I think, I think that's just logical. I mean, before you before you spend more money, you want to make sure that you're spending the money that you have correctly. So, I do want to ask how you size up the candidates who are running for governor now. Uh, we have sort of, you could say, a more moderate candidate in Richard Irvin, and and a less moderate maybe candidate you could say in Darren Bailey. Is that something that you are are following, or do you feel like you, um, you know? Well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited by the the nature of the candidates. I think it's a, it's a very diverse group. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Mayor Irvin is one of the candidates, only because I think the municipal perspective is helpful at, at the, the governor's level too. Um, it just again, you know, if you if you're gonna if your sink is flooding the house, you're not gonna call the guy right out of the plumbing school. You're gonna get a, a seasoned plumber to come and fix it. So. There's something to be said about that in government too. I mean, the philosophy today, the philosophy today is that you know anybody that's been there more than a day is, is been there too long. Well, it doesn't doesn't work that way. Uh, but no, I think it's an interesting group. I don't know enough about all of them to tell you who's going to be the next governor. Um, obviously, Governor Pritzker has you know, walked in at a difficult time too with the COVID. Uh, 
and, and there's a lot of money involved. I mean, a lot of these candidates apparently are bringing much money to their campaign, so it's going to be interesting. I have one uh, last question for you here, um, and that is, what's next? You're still a, a relatively young guy. Um, you're retiring. Are you going to go back to the school board, make it full circle? What do you mean, what, what do you mean relatively young guy? <laughs> you're a young guy. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I am an attorney by trade. I'd like to develop uh, some more legal experience. I think that, uh, you know, the public sector, there's a lot to be talked about. And it's true in the private sector, too. People have to know uh, about their government, about how it works. So in that respect, I'd like to teach more. I'd like to teach a class or two at a university. So if there's any university presidents out there listening, you know, resumes in the mail. I'd like to teach. I'd like to uh, practice law more and maybe travel more, too. Well, I hope you get there soon. Commissioner Peter Silvestri of the 9th District, now retiring after 28 years and many years before that in public service. Thank you so much for coming on the Cloudcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us, and thank you for the service you're all providing to our voters. Thanks again to Commissioner Silvestri for coming on. Check back in for future episodes of the Cloudcast, where we will try and sit down with Commissioner Sims and Sufferton, who are also retiring this year. And of course, read the Daily Line to get the latest on the upcoming election to fill their seats. This episode of the Cloudcast was produced and edited by me, Alex Nedkin. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.